When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's it, everybody. We are back, and this is a brand new episode. Oof. Took me a while. We were trying to stop saying episode numbers because we're pre-recording, and we have uh, a new way we're going to be doing interviews. We're going to be releasing them on a different day, and so we're going to just stop saying the episode number because it's usually inaccurate in the episode. I've been saying this script for so long. Took a lot. Took a lot of prep. Mike looked at me. It was weird. Uh, but anyway, the, this episode is titled CSS animations can make or break a website. We're going to be talking not so much about the technical aspects of CSS animations, although we will touch on that, of course, but we're going to be talking about, you know, can you overdo it? Like, should you overdo it? Our trans, like what are transitions? Uh, what are animations versus transitions? Um, why would you use one or versus the other and what you can do with your animations that will make a site and what you can do with your animations that will break a site. I also want to preface this again with uh, that sometimes I'm going to say animations, sometimes transitions like CSS transitions also apply. I'm just not going to constantly say animation slash transitions, animation slash transitions, because it'll drive everyone nuts. I'll probably say it a few times, but not throughout. So if you're like, hey, he said animations and transitions apply here. Please know that sometimes I'm implying both. But anyway, if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon Leave a review or rating on your podcast app. Join us in our Discord server or share this with your friends. And I want to preface it for the third time, I guess, with animations and transitions. At the end of the day, bring a level of depth and a feeling of polish to a website when done well. But when they're done incorrectly or subpar, they can make a website look like a rushed mess. And so... I want to have a conversation on this because, you know, when you like go to a website and it just looks very flat or it just looks very like, you know, it's very functional and you don't really know what's wrong with it or even the other way around where you go to a website and you don't really know what's great about it. Oftentimes it's little tiny subtle animations and transitions that can kind of weave their way into the the scrolling. Maybe the scrolling's a little smoother. Uh, Maybe as you're scrolling, things are fading in, but they're doing so very quickly and very subtly, and and it's not like drawing your eye in. And it's interesting to, it's interesting to sort of, if you do pause and sort of think like, I'm going to analyze what's going on here, or us as web developers, sometimes we'll open up the inspect element and we'll literally go and look and we're like, oh, there's a bit of an animation here. Like these, titles are kind of like sliding in or these titles are sliding out. And one of the big things is if you're a person that has or does use templates, oftentimes if you're taking an existing template and you're then repurposing it uh, in other parts of the site, sometimes you'll notice, hey, when I was using just the template, their site looked really cool. Like their pages looked really nice. Everything was super shiny. Everything was really good. And I just copied and pasted it. And now my site or my portion of the site, which is visually identical or seems to be isn't quite the same. And it's because oftentimes there's just that 
little subtle animations and transitions that maybe you've left behind that aren't applying to your new section of the website. And it can be actually kind of jarring once you get used to the the subtle animations in that. So what, what's the difference between the animations and transitions? Well, there's obviously a technical way to say all this, but I'm just going to go into it the way that I understand it is that transitions basically have two states uh, in which an object uh, or an element transitions from one to another state. For example, a common transition might be that we want to change the opacity of a button from 1.0, which is opaque, to 0.5 on hover. So it's going, you know, from 1.0 to 0.5 on the trigger of hover, of a mouse hover hovering over it. And that's a transition. Whereas an animation can be just like a transition, where it can just have two states, but it can also have many more. And it's with the um, the at keyframes that you can use in CSS to define which properties change at which stage. And when I say which stage, I mean, you can use literally a, you can say at keyframes and in there you can put, you know, a, a from and a to in there. And there's your two, your two states. You can literally say, you know, change from opacity one to opacity 0.5 if you wanted. Or you can get really, really granular and you can use percentages. And you can go in and say, you know, starting at 0%, I want it to look like this. Then at 10% in, I want it to look like this. 20% this, 22%, I want it to be this. And you get them, you get my meaning. And you can get really in there. And for each of those stages, you can set different things, set the opacity, set the colors, you know, set this and that. And you also get more controls. You also get more fine controls. You get things like animation delay and the animation won't start for a little while. You get animation iteration count. So let's say it's like a ball that's spinning. Maybe you only want it to spin six times and then stop. Otherwise, it's distracting to a reader if it's on a page with words that need to be read. Um, animation duration. So how long it takes to get through those stages that we just talked about, get through that zero through a hundred or from the or, or through the from and the two. Um, animation timing. So something like a, a speed curve, like is it a linear progression of time? Is it cubic Bezier? And there's a bunch of other ones in there as well. I'm not going to get into all this, but it's much more granular and it's much more uh, controllable, much more controlled and much more powerful because of that. What would you use like a transition versus an animation for? I know you gave one example of like a button on hover. That's a transition most likely. Uh, do you have an example of like an animation you would you would use an animation for? I like to use an animation for anything that in particular isn't linear timing. So on a transition, you can do like an ease in, ease out. But if if I'm doing like a common one is a button will do the opacity on hover, but it'll do like a little shake, almost like it's trying to shake off water or something. And you can do that with a transition well enough and it'll look okay. Uh, to an to an extent, like you can maybe look a little janky with only two states. But if it's like if you really want this thing to shake back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and you want it to look kind of organic where it like kind of starts slow, it gets a little bit faster and then it kind of like slows down again. That type of thing I'd definitely use an animation for anything that has more than one state. Like, for example, like with the the, the shaking, you could do like one quick little like left to right with a with a uh, transition. But if you want it to be like back, forth, back, forth, back, forth, you have to have an animation. Uh, another thing would be, um, uh, I like to use, use animation specifically for things that are more, uh, I guess you could say 3d, where if you're flipping things over, 
So for example, um, this isn't my actual example, but this is where I would absolutely use it. And I think they used it too, is I found on CodePen this really cool um, animation where this guy made a set of cards. I think they were almost like a magic card type of thing, but they had these like characters on it, whatever. I'm not sure what the lore and license was, but, and then when you hovered over it with the mouse, it was a, literally a 3D card on the page and it flipped over and it showed the written description of whatever the creature is and, you know, do they attack or do they do this and that? And that was really cool. And so stuff like that to make it seem organic, because you have like sort of a, you know, it's like someone's picking up the card and flipping it over to make it a little more lifelike, a little more not just like and flip and flip uh, stuff like that. I will say that whenever I can, I try to use a transition. And if I struggle with the transition, I go to the animation is kind of my workflow. And sometimes I just know the transition is not going to work if I need more than one state. But that's kind of how I choose between the two and kind of how um, it'd be easy to understand as a beginner, I would say, between the two. Because even as a beginner for me, I was like, well, why? Because I, when I learned animations, I learned the t- the from and the two in my keyframes. And I was like, this is this is dumb. Like, <laughs> why am I why am I using like a from and a two instead of just using a transition? And the one way I was using it in the beginning was actually because you can name your keyframes so you can name it, you know, at keyframes and then call it like flip or something. And then you can call flip with an animation name on multiple different elements throughout your CSS. And so I was like, oh, it's kind of like a function where I'm calling it. And whereas that is one way to do it, ultimately the strength of animations and the reason why you would use an animation is for their added complexity and their added options. And that's ultimately the, the real quote unquote, the real way why you would use it. Yeah, that makes sense to me. So it kind of progresses from transition to animation as, as you're going. Um, yeah, just one more thing I want to add before we kind of dive into like when to use it and what makes a site. Uh, there's different, like as you progress, you go from transition to animation, which are both CSS properties. There's also JavaScript animations. So those are a little bit more controllable like controllable on click, for instance, and controllable through scrolling, stuff like that. That requires a little bit of JavaScript there. And then as you progress from that, like you can do everything you need to do with those three, right? Transitions, animations, and JavaScript animations. Uh, but there's libraries on top of that as well. Uh, we want, we're not going to be diving into it in this episode. We'll probably have a separate episode where we kind of break down like Framer Motion, GSAP, uh, and like all the different third-party libraries that there are for handling complex animations in performant ways. But just under, I think the understanding of like the progression from one to the next as your site becomes more complex and more in need of complex animations, where they fit, and that's what we're going to talk about in a second, uh, is important to understand that there's just different tools out there for you to use. Well, now that you've brought that up too, it is a question of performance as well. So like trend, uh, animations... And, and transitions can be as well, but animations in particular do have quite a bit of uh, a performance problem. If you do a lot of them all the time, uh, if it's all over the page, lots of elements are being affected, uh, big page reflows are being caused and stuff like that. Uh, you can have some pretty serious problem because you have to remember this is a client side thing. And so if someone's approaching this page or literally loading this page from a an old computer, or even a public computer, which is usually not the most powerful thing, like from a library, uh, they might have some serious, some serious performance problems. And obviously, uh, HTML and CSS are more performant than JavaScript. And you can use JavaScript to obviously add, remove, and 
put classes on things and stuff. So you can kind of do a hybrid there a little bit where you can use your JS to control your CSS animations. So you're getting like kind of like a hybrid performant <laughs> mode in there uh, as well. And I don't know if the, the difference there is negligible. I'm not sure how much the difference is, but I do know that if you can do it in CSS and you don't need JavaScript, then try to do it in CSS just because it is more performant, generally speaking. Um, but beyond that, you know, we want to talk about later what like with an animation and, and with a transition, you know, what what makes an animation or what, what makes a site when you use animations in, in this? And, and to me, it's when the animations are subtle. You know, they're not really noticeable it, and they just they really work. It's like you don't really notice them, but you would notice now that you've seen it if they disappeared. If you reloaded the page or you've been to that page a few times, been to that site a few times and you reload that page at one day and the animations or the, and the transitions are just gone. You'd be like, whoa, that, like it kind of looks weird now. It kind of looks flat. And this is the same kind of story I find with shadows as well, where a lot of a lot of uh, beginners and including myself, when we're, you know, you're first throwing together uh, a Web page, you'll throw all the elements on the page and you'll be trying to say mimic let's just say the wireframe because as I say, there's no designs on this project. It's a budget project. You're going right from wireframe to, uh, to code and to, to actually writing it up in HTML, CSS, JS. And, you know, you kind of run into this problem where you put everything on the page and it kind of looks flat. And then adding some things, animations and transitions are, I'm going to keep those in as one item. So are one thing that can you know help you out, but also the appropriate level of shadows, like box shadows, those type of things will really kind of elevate the page. It gives it some depth. It's not as flat. It's not just like a newspaper at that point. Even newspapers, they, you know, have not real buttons, but like designs that look like buttons and buildings and stuff that look 3D because it's supposed to look nice or or really nice photos, of course, go on into newspapers to kind of break it up. And so the kind of the same sort of thing happens in UI design where uh, if, if it's a very sort of what I call like a UI element heavy design where you're not using images, you're not using a lot of text, you're just using sort of little bits of text with a lot of, um, it's almost like for like an admin panel where it's a lot of tables, a lot of those type of things, a lot of dividers and stuff because it's very informational with buttons and stuff that pull up items in a, in a status window. Having the appropriate amount of animations and transitions coupled with the appropriate amount of shadows really adds a level of depth and polish to the site. <clears throat> um, so for that, uh, another one is, and this is dangerous, actually, a little bit. It can be. And this is smooth scrolling. So no smooth scrolling is uh, is or was popular. Um, it, you know, makes the scrolling a little bit smoother as you scroll down, a little less janky. Um, I'm not sure exactly how it does that. I've never really looked into it. Maybe it adds a little bit of acceleration to your mouse wheel, stuff like that. Um, I'll get into why it's dangerous in the what breaks the site. Uh, side of things, but smooth scrolling is something where, you know, it's kind of like just an elegant way so that you feel really, it feels really nice to sort of scroll down a page nicely. It's not so janky as it scrolls down and it's just like a subtle little, like not taking control away from the user, but just sort of guiding them very, very lightly. Um, also elements fading, uh, fading and flying in subtly on scroll. So not just on load. A lot of this stuff that I've been talking about does apply to on load, but as you as you scroll down a lot of the like a lot of little little animations, maybe not a lot, but just the right amount where they just the headers kind of just fade in slightly. Uh, the, the content fades in slightly. All that type of stuff to me makes a site. Um, it makes it look nicer and you're not going to notice it unless you're 
specifically looking for it. Um, and also with that, when you do have to load, so if your site is a complex site or it has a lot of images or something like that, having an interesting loading indicator that is animated is also nice because it lets people know that the page is actually loading. And also that, you know, it, it, they kind of get distracted and they can kind of watch like a little animation or something, something more than just like a spinner. Spinners are totally fine. You know, a lot of this stuff is superfluous. We're talking about the polish on a site. And a lot of the time, the polish just is based on what the project is. You're not going to be polishing, you know, the um, Active Directory admin panel. <laughs> You're not going to be doing transitions and stuff in there. It's very much a tool for IT professionals. But if you're trying to, you know, take your site to the next level and you're trying to make it just look really sort of punchy and nice, then having some of these little things in, in there is super nice, including those loading indicators, which is good for a technical reason, letting people know the site's still loading, but also to sort of distract them from this fact that it is loading, if you will. Um, one thing I do want to note, once again, and I've said this through this whole little section here, is that subtlety, I think, is the key here. Um, animations that are very in your face without a reason are very annoying and they look annoying, <laughs> if you will. Uh, sometimes you have a page where you're literally trying to show off animations. And so animations are very big and they're in your face and this and that, because either you're teaching someone that you're trying you're teaching someone how to do animations or you're showing off the, the full capability of it or something like that in those cases of course that's totally fine but i find that when it the animations are just in my face and it's just all over the place it's a real problem so subtlety at least to me is what makes a site subtlety and proper kind of execution with some nice shadows um, things fading in and out and sliding in and that to me is what makes a site feel really polished yeah, for sure. I think the subtlety and the enhancement of the experience is the key here, right? Like you don't want the animations to be a detriment to a person learning about whatever they need to learn about. I think I've seen a lot of really good animation work being done on like SaaS products or just product sites where they need to show off a product in different ways. So if it's like a physical product, a lot of animations will be about like the the actual 3D version of that product, like Im the image actually rotating as you're scrolling or something like that. And a lot of times I'll give an example of something that could work really well in, an in a heavy animation site. If you're just trying to describe like, let's say a really fancy water bottle, right? You're, you're selling a water bottle and there's different features of that water bottle top to bottom. And as you scroll, you kind of show the features top to bottom as this, as the bottle is rotating three, like 360 with your scrolling and there's arrows coming in and describing each feature as it's kind of coming into view with the, with the rotation, right? So that physically shows the user what they're going to be buying as well as like in a, in a, in an eye catching way, informational eye catching way at the same time. You're not wasting the user's time. You're actually physically showing them the features of that product. And that's where I kind of think animations do their best job is where they're emphasizing what you need them to emphasize rather than just like, if you're throwing in an image of a person, you know, laughing just for the sake of it, uh, unless it's a, it, it's something that's adding to the experience of the user and the, and the description of the product, it doesn't make any sense. The user will be actually withdrawn from that site and start 
start trying to find ways out to try or try to find ways to the information that they're actually after. Because a lot of times people come to your site specifically looking for something. And if you're trying to sell them or upsell them, you need to catch their eye quickly and effectively. So another way, like if you have a, a creative agency and you're trying to promote your your creativity, right? And your core values of that agency, whether it's like, again, if creativity is your core value as you're scrolling, maybe the creativity, like the actual like word creativity will expand and, and be, become more bold and maybe shine a little bit as you're scrolling down, whatever. Those kinds of animations, again, can give the user the exact message that you're trying to send in a more emphasized way rather than taking away from the user's ability to find the information that they're looking for. You know what, Mike, you you raise a really good point that I do want to bring up. And that is you should really ask what the page is about. What is the pages? What is it for? Because sometimes you're right. Having, you know, a nice spinning water bottle is a very obvious big animation. It's not subtle, like I've said, but it's performing an action on a marketing page. And like spinning a water bottle is sort of what would happen in a commercial and in similar marketing materials. And so that makes total sense to have sort of a bold animation there. It's not subtle. It's right in your face, but it's it's very informational. Whereas you don't want your blog post spinning every couple of minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're trying yeah. to like you're trying to like read, and then every five minutes it just does a whoop and then turns around. You're like, wait, where where was I? What was that? Uh type of thing. So, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, even though even though like you, you know, you do have to question what type of page it is, marketing this and that, how big and bold it is, you still have to question the performance as well. So even though it would be like it'd be cool if it like rotated this that this that and then you do the performance check and it sucks. It's like it would be awesome if it worked, but if it's only working on 10% of people's computers because it requires uh, one hell of a lot of performing uh, of uh, performant hardware uh, it's time not to do that because people are going to get, it's going to get stuck in certain positions. You're not going to know what's going on. They're going to get frustrated and they're going to leave. And so that's another question of this is a marketing page. It needs to look flashy. It, you know, it should be really nice. Animations abound, but it still needs to sell the product. And I don't want to show a broken website animation of my bottle. So it's, you know, so you still need to have that, that back and forth question. And I, I think like, just because you can doesn't mean you should should also be kind of asked <laughs> during those meetings. It's Definitely. like just because you can rotate your blog post all like crazy 3D wise doesn't mean you should because who the hell cares about rotating text and that's going to 100% detract the user. Even if it's the fanciest 3D rotation you could possibly do. 100%. 100%. Like, I know for sure and I'm going to talk about this in a bit. But the old Webflow websites, because Webflow is all about interactions and look, you can do these these crazy interactions, which are basically just animations and stuff like that and transitions and stuff. And man, man, were those websites not performant. And I had it crash on me so many times trying to scroll down through the pages and I'm being like taken left, taken right, taken up in like a cube. And and it's all this crazy stuff's happening. And like I got an older computer that I work on and holy crap, was this thing not happy. And this was years ago now. Um, and the computer might have been like six or seven at that point. And it is a gaming computer. So it's got it's got some hardware. And I know the browser has limited access to hardware, but it was just like, man, this is not performing well. And I wonder how many people it did perform well for because it isn't performing well for me. And they got rid of it pretty quick. So I don't think it I don't think it was a hit, unfortunately, despite despite its marketing ambitions. Um, but what breaks a website uh, with animations and transitions, of course? Well, 
we've talked about this a lot, too many animations, but more specifically, too many animations to the point where they draw away from the, the content or the function of the page. So like we already mentioned with the blog post, you know what? You don't want the blog content. Someone's trying to read that. You don't want it rotating around and doing stuff, and especially if it's something that's very utilitarian. If this is a blog post that's telling somebody how to fix a server, it's a utilitarian moment that they're trying, that they're using. It's a utilitarian task, a utilitarian moment. That page should be about utility. And you don't want stuff flying in and rotating around and blocking their thing. The function of the page is this person needs to read this. You don't want to block their, their reading. And I know some people will go against that and say, well, you know, you should have marketing pop-ups and, you know, these convert this can, I'm not getting into the conversion conversation. I'm talking about in terms of me building the page and laying out the page. I'm not going to have my text and everything. My text is not going to go all like wavy, like the, like, like it's literally in water or something. This is a page that they need to be able to see what they're doing and be able to read it. And quickly too, they don't want to have a whole bunch of, you don't have to wait for a whole bunch of animations to complete. Another one we already touched on as well, bad performance. You know, this is an obvious one. The animations that you can do on CSS can be rather complex and you can do multiple. So you don't want to have animations that are too complex or too many animations or too many complex animations all at the same time. It's going to be not only distracting in most cases, but it's also going to hurt the hardware uh, or hurt people with uh, slower hardware and possibly depending on what it, those animations are doing could even cause people with a slower internet to have problems as well. If it's trying to load in crazy high res images, cause you're trying to like rotate them and zoom them in and they still got to look good. And you know, there's a whole bunch of implications here. So subtlety in general is the best policy and always analyze what the use of your page is for primarily. I, I will just to interject a little bit. I will say that there are certain instances where <sighs> You, you, you can kind of like not care as much about performance. Uh, one of them Matt mentioned was when you're demonstrating, obviously, different animations. Like you need to demonstrate all the different variations, including ones that will have performance implications. But the other one is, is if you're demonstrating, for instance, a very high-end product, uh, something that you know only the higher percentage of people can afford, Right. Whether it be like a pair of shoes that are a thousand dollars or a sports drink that's twenty dollars a bottle, whatever, whatever people, you know, that is, is targeting a very specific audience. Um, sometimes you can make the bet that, hey, we know that people are probably going to be using top tier devices for this. And to get that kind of competitive edge on our competitors to get shared a little bit more, we can go towards the less performance and crazier animations route. So you, you, most of the time, I a hundred percent agree that you need to worry about performance first and foremost, because if you're targeting the general public or if you're targeting a public that isn't tech savvy, you're going to guarantee that there's going to be people using, you know, five-year-old phones and hand me devices with their kids. Yeah. Correct. Like that's a guarantee. Like you're going to have to develop for that. But again, in certain situations, when you're looking for that flashy experience and you know your target audience, you can make that bet of like, hey, I'm just going to go crazy with the animations. The other thing I do want to say is there is a way to detect a user's device performance. And you can uh, create different experiences for different performance levels of a device. And in fact, I will say again, 
mobile devices handle animations much worse than desktop devices, right? Whether that be the mobile browser code just not handling it as well or because mobile devices are in general less powerful than a large desktop or a large laptop, right? So a lot of times how I've seen it is a mobile device will have half or even 25% of the animations that a desktop site has. And then you got to make that decision in your own mind of like or between your team of like, hey, if our audience is 75% mobile and 25% desktop, do we even care? So that's another whole conversation that you have to have with your team and with your designer and all that. Just just throwing out all the variables out there for you. Well, actually, we can talk about that now then. So like I talked about this. I, I have this on my list here, not respecting screen real estate, big animations on desktop and on smartphones. And my my take on it wasn't so much about performance, although performance is obviously a really good thing to bring up. My, my take on it was you, sometimes the animations that you're doing on desktop, like the big the big rotating uh, like water bottle, maybe the water bottle is now too tall. You know, you have to consider. And if somebody is using your site in landscape, what are you going to do? Some sites will tell the person, please rotate to portrait. And they'll try to control that experience. But it's something that you do need to consider and develop a situation for because I've definitely worked on sites that I've messed up myself, you know, fully admit it, where I have a big old nav bar and a big old footer or something. And then like you get this little tiny scroll space when you're in landscape and it's like, like, damn. <laughs> uh, and it looks horrible and, and it's in production, you know, it's not, not the greatest. And so something that you'll learn as you get better at things. But it is absolutely something you have to keep in mind the, the power of the hardware and also the hardware. It's this is a you know a chocolate bar shaped device. Many of them are big now, so that's something to consider. But they might be old because now there's big like iPhone Pluses, for example, that are old now. So you got old chipsets. We also got landscape is still skinny, like it's still not that tall. So if someone's holding it in landscape. What's the site look like? What do those animations look like? Are they covering up my screen? Are they, or do I have this big waving like sphere ripping around like a, like a, it's supposed to look like an earth? And is it taking up 25%, 30%? Ha- hell, ha- is it taking up half my screen? What is it doing there? Um, and it ain't great. So some, something you absolutely need to take a look at there. This other one's a little weird. Comes from my video gamer br- brain. Taking control away from the user. So, for example, if you take smooth scrolling too far and you just you really slow down their scrolling or you really speed it up or you add a lot of acceleration. What I mean by acceleration, if you don't know, most acceleration is an example. It is that if I so if I like use my scroll wheel, let's just say I scroll it at the, at a, a linear speed. It's just one speed. And so I scroll down and I stop. It should scroll down at the same speed and stop. What a mouse acceleration will do, or what acceleration will do in general, not not mouse acceleration, but with with scrolling, I guess, acceleration would do, is it would, it'll like cushion it. So it it will still scroll and slowly stop. And it'll stop actually after I've stopped. A little bit of that is cool when you're just sort of casually scrolling a blog. It's not really going to mess up what you're reading. But really taking that to the extreme is very annoying, especially if you're trying to look at something specific and the page keeps like scrolling down a little bit, scrolling down a little bit. And it's like, stop. Like, what are you, you know, what are you doing? Um, kind of scrolling through mud, like really like going like, holy. And you really got to scroll, 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 trying to go because the page is trying to go, trying to take you slow because it's trying to take you through some sort of experience. 
unless that experience is super critical to the page and the web and your and your your website, you're taking control away from the user in that way, where you're you're no longer just sort of like cushioning their experience or guiding their experience. You're literally taking it away. It, it, it's an equivalent. I mentioned gaming of when the camera gets taken away from you. You're playing like a first person shooter, and then they just take the camera away from you and try to show you something, and it's like. Okay, thank you. Like I was in the middle of like doing something and now I got to like look up in the sky at something and it's instead of just taking me into a cutscene, it's like you've taken away my control. It's very jarring and I know a lot of my other gamer friends don't like it as well. And so this is something that I've learned to dislike a lot from websites that do this, especially when I don't know where I'm going. And this is going to sound weird. So that one Webflow website, if I remember correctly, is a long, long time ago. I, and I don't mean like a Webflow website made by a Webflow user. I mean like Webflow.com. Uh, this is years ago now. I remember I was scrolling down, 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 down. And all of a sudden, like, I just started going to the right. And it's just like, what is going on here? Like, I don't know where I'm going now. And now I'm like, I'm scrolling down on my wheel because my wheel doesn't go left and right other than for alternate clicks. Um, but like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm now I'm going off to the right. And then all of a sudden, I mean, like drawn back down. Maybe some people like that. Maybe this is an, this is probably a subjective thing. I don't like that. I feel like I, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know like what's happening, and it's a big mess. Another thing with this, I, I is, think just before you get, you move on, I I agree with you almost ninety nine percent on that one. Um, I have like I've seen many 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 different websites try to do that where they fully control your scroll. Uh, and make it very jarring. Like sometimes a short section is okay. Like when you're just showing like a demonstration of a product really quickly. Uh, and it's just like, as you scroll the, the product demonstrates in some way, shape, or form or rotates, like I was saying with the water bottle. Uh, but when it's a whole website and it goes from like going vertical to horizontal to like angular scrolling, I've seen that done before. It can get really jarring out of like, you know, maybe 30, 40 websites that I've seen. I would say like three of them really nailed it in the point where I was like, wow, this is really cool and I would share it. Um, but the problem even with those ones is it depends on what you're there to do. If you're there, to, again, to show off a product in a really flashy way, that's one thing, sure. But if you're there to give, give user information about something and they have to scroll to the middle of your Angular section to find like where your pricing tier is, uh, that's bullshit. Like that's terrible experience. Don't do that. That's like <laughs> yeah. the, the worst when you, when you're like, okay, I have to find it again. So let me scroll down 15 different frames here and then stop at exactly the right frame. Like, no, that's not what that's used for. It's used for flashy content of like flashy shareable product viewing content. That's it. Like, like the homepage. But when I'm on your pricing yeah. chart, I'm literally no. trying to figure out what to buy. Correct. Like I don't need to do be, not do that on the pricing chart. <laughs> yeah, like don't rotate the pricing chart. Don't go it left and right, and like I can't see anything, and like I, I need to see it. Like it's once again, it's a utilitarian page that you should be made for utility. It should look nice, but it should be utilitarian focused. Absolutely. Another thing to consider as well with taking away control away from the user is the inputs method, or the excuse me, the input method is going to be potentially messed up if you use different input methods. So you're probably, you're probably assuming people are going to scroll with a scroll wheel, but they might be using their keyboard. They might be using the vertical bar that's on the scroll bar. They might be clicking the arrows and you don't know how long they're clicking, like how long they're clicking holding, whether they're just tapping it. 
whether they're clicking holding the directional buttons on the arrow keys on the keyboard or whether they're using the page up and the page down and the page up and the page down like the jump because it's page up and page down and it might really cause some problems and we'll actually this is a bit of a uh, foreshadowing for our last section which is like things to test when it comes to stuff like this but it's um it's a major problem that a lot of people will ignore and then i've tried to like use my keyboard because i'm like all this scrolling is annoying like i'm going through mud and i'll try to use my keyboard and then it's like even slower and it's like what is going on here like this is a nightmare so don't like make sure you test all that stuff and don't don't do it (laughs) don't don't go too crazy with your animations ultimately is what this whole episode is about um also last thing this actually comes from a, a mobile phone reviewer and it absolutely makes sense mr mobile says this slow by design uh, it's a, a term that he uses because so he I forget which watch it was, but it was definitely a Samsung watch. And when he was getting notifications on his Samsung smartwatch, this is a number of years ago, there would be like a it'd be like a text message. And then it would like have a little animation like whoosh, and then it would show the animation and he and then it would show the text. Excuse me. And he was like, you know, I, I, I get tapped on the wrist. I pull it up and I have to watch this little animation of like the texting app. And then it shows it. And whether that or not, that's covering up a loading screen. It's still like slow by design. And sometimes, yes, it is better to have that than a janky thing that's not quite loaded yet. And you're like, you're but yet you're allowing the user to interact with it. And then it's like half broken. So sometimes there's just technical limitations. But if you're making animations that make your site slow by design, it's a problem. An example, if you have your animation, your, uh, the animation of your blog, where let's say they click on a blog post and it's time for them to read it. Having a nice little subtle, like fade in is great. Having a 10 second fade in ain't good. It's too long and use the user wants to read. And now they got to wait for your animation or your transition to finish. And it's a nightmare. And again, sometimes this is necessary for a, to cover up a technical problem, like, like loading or something like that. If that's the case, that's the case. But don't make your stuff slow by design just because you're like, oh, this animation looks great. I'm going to force the user every single time they click on a blog post article. I'm going to force them to sit through a 10 second fade in or like a 10 second rotation of the text as it like rotates and then stops and then they can look at it too much. No, slow by design is bad. It's just bad. Don't do it. Last thing here, things to test. These are things to test when you're adding transitions and animations, especially if you have a lot of them or complex ones on your website. First one, different zoom levels. I've seen so many times where someone will have like a rotating circle or something. And then when you zoom in, it becomes a big rotating circle. And now you can't see it <laughs> and you can't see anything. And you just got this rotating circle and it causes problems across the page or like whatever. It's a mess. So Absolutely test different zoom levels and make sure things are anchored, like quote unquote anchored down as needed, or if things need to uh, be responsibly or responsively, excuse me, uh, sized or whether things need to be hard coded at certain at certain zoom levels or something. But definitely test your animations, especially in my experience, if they're big, if they're near content, like if they might cover up some writing. Or if they're full screen, so obviously big, but if they're full screen and it requires the full screen, 
definitely check the different zoom levels because you might not just have like a scrollable like, oh, you know, it, it'll still be at what normally 100 view width or view height was, but you'll just have to scroll around a little bit. Sometimes you just got a big zoomed in mess. So definitely check your zoom levels. Yeah, the zoom levels is a big one, uh, not just for animations too, just, just to interject a little bit because I've had many issues where certain people it's an accessibility thing really obviously eyesight is where zoom levels are used the most for the people that just have bad eyesight so they zoom into 125 150 and i've had many times where sites that i've worked on just break at those zoom levels right like different screen sizes it's really difficult to adapt to not only different screen sizes and different resolutions but also all the potential zoom levels on those resolutions I'm and my philosophy is like with the zoom levels, I'm not going in to make it look perfect at every zoom level. But you're right, Matt, where like if it's a a navigational thing for the website, like you need the animation or the nav bar or whatever to be able to actually navigate and find content, that's something you at least need to account for. So as long as people can like if it looks weird and janky, okay, that's something like that, yes, you could fix that, but you need to make sure they can at least get from point A to point B on your website at the zoom level that you're targeting. That's, I think, the most important thing. Again, accessibility with animations, like the combination of that is important. And I think a lot of people leave that out because it is a very big pain to do. But zoom levels, the proper labeling of your divs when it's animating all over the place, uh, proper alt tags on your image animations, all of that stuff needs to be accounted for, and it's not easy in any way, shape, or form, but it's something you do need to think about. For sure, yeah, and and it is it it is a problem because like some some websites will have like an accessibility button where they can, you know, they can click and specifically they'll raise the font size, for example, raise the font size by you know two three points for each click or or however it works, and then down to a certain level, and it's a controlled environment. You know, they can only raise it generally by a certain amount. They can only lower it by a certain amount. And so you can specifically can specifically plan for that. But with a browser, the, the browsers zoom in by different percentages. They, they'll have different limitations. Some people will pinch and zoom. Some people won't. And there's different percentage. It's a whole thing. And so it is difficult to test for. It is something that you absolutely should do. It is a good idea. And, you know, some jank, like you're saying, is OK. Like if if they're really zooming in so they can see, but they're still allowed to scroll around and they're still able to read, for example, the blog post. They're still able to see the pictures and understand what's going on. That's a win. You know, that's a win. But it it's a good thing to bring up because not all sites, including HTML of things, does not have that accessibility control button. And so we're not controlling, you know, what they're raising the size of and what they're shrinking and what they're this and that, specifically in relation to font if someone needs it to be bigger, they just have to zoom in. So it is absolutely something to pay attention to, especially when things are flying around the page with transitions and animations. I already mentioned this a little bit, but different input methods. Definitely test with different input methods. This includes scrolling with the arrows keys on a keyboard, uh, using the mouse wheel, uh, using the keyboard up and down, um, or sorry, page up and page down, uh, using using the arrow keys, but the, not the arrow keys, but the arrow buttons on the actual scroll bar 
clicking and pulling the little scroll bar bar thing, the little vertical bar that's that shows you how far down you've scrolled, clicking that and dragging that around, uh, seeing how that works, because you can scroll quite quickly with that. You can go right pretty well to the bottom. Uh, also checking, checking actually, excuse me, um, home and end, which can jump to different to the top and the bottom of the, uh, of the page, checking how that works and controlling some of that, in my opinion, is is a good thing to check and see, hey, you know, these things aren't loading in correctly. Um, hey, this actually breaks this animation, especially those. I can't even imagine those scrolling animations trying to like make sure that everyone's OK with the like page up, page down, the home and the end. And I'm sure there's more that I, that I haven't even thought of tapping the tapping the arrows versus like holding the arrows down. And it's probably a total, <laughs> probably a total disaster of testing, but it doesn't, it is something that needs to be done to make sure that things are working. People can complete whatever goal it is that you want them to complete on your website. We've talked about this to death. So I'll just touch on it very briefly, various hardware at various power levels, whether the, uh, the phones or the computers are new or old, Animations and transitions take up a lot more computing power than just text and images sitting there. And so absolutely, you do need to consider, hey, you know, I am offloading this onto the client side. Uh, Maybe I shouldn't use JS here. Maybe I'll do a more simple animation, just use CSS. Maybe I won't do an animation here. Maybe I'll do just a simpler animation here. Things like that. Um, Also, various internet speeds. So one thing. To think here is, let's say you go through all your Google PageSpeed insights, you know, you do all your stuff and the animation itself, the animations and the transitions may not mess with the page load too much, especially if they're down the page a bit. But you might have a really nice graphic, one that's like a little larger than it should be because the animation might zoom it in and zoom it out and all this stuff. So it has to look good at different zoom levels and having the page be, you know, not blocked by blockers as much as you can. And then the person scrolls down and they just see like a page with like a background image or a background color. And they're like, what is this? And then all of a sudden the water bottle pops in because the image loaded finally is a problem. And so you have to consider, you know, hey, this might break your animation. It might look janky. They might not know what's going on. They might be like clicking and dragging like a div and being like, what's going on here? Like, why is this thing rotating? And then all of a sudden, finally, the animation or finally, the the elements, the assets finally load. That's a problem. It can be catastrophic, actually, depending on <laughs> depending on what you're trying to do with your animation. It might really mess up the the tracking on what it is. So just something to consider different Internet speeds. And you can do that, of course, in inspect element. You can go in and set yourself to it's like a 3G or something and see how it loads. Also, vital triggers that are not sensitive enough. So blog, like let's say there's a blog where you scroll down and the trigger is that as you scroll down, the text will slowly appear and it's like a nice, gracious looking thing. But someone isn't scrolling with the same mouse that you have or someone isn't scrolling with the touchscreen that you have. Someone is scrolling because that's another input method for scrolling. I should actually put in there different info methods scrolling literally on a screen with your finger. Um, but if someone is like scrolling down and the, the blog doesn't load and it's like, what the hell? Like it isn't like unrolling. It isn't fading in. They have to like scroll down again, scroll down again. And it's like it's at a specific like the triggers at a specific point. That's a problem. And I have seen that a lot of the time. I've messed up animations like that, too, where the trigger point is just not quite there. 
um, or like it's just off just a tiny bit. This is especially true in my experience where I have animations on a page and I have an anchor tag. So I literally have like an anchor, like, and I mean an anchor for the ac- that actual page. So I click like, you know, here's the table of contents. Click here to get to the summary section. Click the summary section. And then I've only tested my fade in rollout thing by me having like scroll down, scroll down, scroll down, scroll down. And then it did work on my computer when I clicked that anchor tag and went all the way down. But somebody else's browser went down a slight bit too much or didn't go down just quite enough. Maybe because of the the top bar of the the browser or something like that. And my trigger is just a little bit too sticky. It's a little bit too precise. And then it now looks like my page is broken. So vital triggers really need to be tested a lot and they need to be sort of very liberal and, you know, work when they should work. And also, like, don't worry about, oh, no, like sometimes my animation will unroll when the user's not quite there. It's like, yeah, but they're still able to see the, the content. You know, if that's an edge case that you have and, you know, you want to work on that, go for it, of course. But it's way better to have someone miss an animation than to not be able to see the content of the page. Remember to, to take a, like take a look objectively at what the objective of the page is first. Yeah, I think you've kind of summed up animations in this episode really well, uh, especially the use cases of when and when not to use them. I think the next step for people right now, uh, obviously, this is a audio podcast. You can't visually see what we're talking about. I'd go to awards.com. I think it's A-W-W-W-A-R-D-S. I'm just going to double check that. Yeah, ARDS.com. And just go through those sites because a lot of new, really flashy sites, the new, at least the new trend is very, very animation heavy. And I think if you start looking at it yourself and you can, I mean, there's scores for each site on awards because they kind of do a site of the day and weekly sites. You can go through it yourself and decide where you want to draw the line of like, this is too much animations. Because a lot of these sites, like I've been going through as Matt was talking about them, a lot of these sites for me personally are way too animation heavy, right? Some of them are really good. I want to be clear on that. But some of them are like, holy crap, everything that Matt was saying with performance and controlling your viewport and just not being optimized and just you can't get to the information quick enough. All of that is happening on the most flashy sites out there. And again, it's that like give and take of like, do you want a flashy site that's going to be shared on awards? Or do you want a site that people can find information as quickly as possible and get what they need actually from that site? And it, it, it depends. It always depends on obviously the client that you're working for or the company you're working for yourself. And it's going to depend on what the goal of that site is. Yeah, it, it's something definitely to be said if you're if you're doing like a niche blog or just a blog that's like helping people with home improvement. If somebody clicks on the site and it just loads in really quick and there's no animation and it's very plain, but they're able to see this is how you re- reseal a window or this is how you replace a window. That's what they're there for. They're not there for they're not going to be thinking of themselves. Well, I went to some other. I went to some other home improvement website and that one faded in. So I'm going to go back to that now. And for sure, you want your stuff to look super nice, you know, get that polish in there. Great. I'm not saying don't do that, but sometimes it's an afterthought. And primarily, I would always say is look up the objective of the site. If it's a marketing site that requires the animations, then great. It's literally a requirement and you need it 
that's fantastic. But if it's a blog, don't be having your blog rotate on a, on a cube just for fun and then have your have your reader be like, whoa, like the cube keeps moving and like it's a mess. So don't do that. Um, that type of thing is a big pain. Also, I want to actually add one little thing. It just, rem- just reminded me uh, buttons that aren't actually buttons that have hover animations that aren't on the button. <laughs> I know that sounds weird. Sometimes people will make a custom button out of a bunch of divs or whatever, which you probably like generally you kind of should not do too much unless you absolutely have to uh, just for accessibility and other reasons. But anyway, sometimes it happens. It does happen. And I noticed that let's say they have like a little wiggle animation. Like I said, like go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You hover the mouse over it and you're not on the button yet. You're like north of the button. You're right on top of the button. And if you click, it doesn't do anything, but the button's still wiggling. That that animation is supposed to indicate that I'm on the button and ready to click it. Pet peeve, but something to absolutely consider. I'm sure someone that's listening to this is goes like, whoops, I'd absolutely have that. I probably have that on some of my older sites as well. I'm not saying I'm perfect because I've had problems with that in the past and I've tried to correct it in my more recent sites, but just something to throw out there. But that concludes today's episode and we're going to Conclude it as we always do with our three dollar tier patrons by thanking them: Ryan Gatcher from Blue Black Digital and BlueBlackDigital.com, Tim from the Web Hacker on TheWebHacker.com, Bib Hashdash Nine Block Media NineBlockMedia.com, Jason from Geek Life Radio via GeekLifeRadio.com, Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via MCWebStudio.ca, Magnus from YesWeb via YesWeb.se, Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale, and Fire Ant Season via FireAntSeason.com. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you are listening to this on. And this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.